0: Yaw! Yeah.
1: my friends to the In Obscuria podcast, a podcast where we exhume obscure rock and punk and metal, and we put them in one of three categories, the lost, the forgotten, or the should have bins. This week, I am called Kevin Williams, and across from me, a man who is called
2: Robert Harrison. I've been called a lot
1: worse. You have been called much worse. <laughs> Probably recently. I've called you much worse.
2: Yeah, that, that's true. We've got that documented. <laughs> well, what is up with you, sir? Oh, uh, nothing. My apologies for the smell of my house.
1: Yeah, I kind of feel like of... I've been huffing pain. Paint for a while. Well, it's a mixture of peppers and paint, which is an odd mixture when you get down there. Sounds like a 90s alternative album. Peppers title. and Paint. Peppers and Paint.
2: Yeah, I was in the workshop where you came over doing some things and painting some stuff because it's raining outside, but thought I had set up proper ventilation to exhale all those fumes into the outer reaches of the backyard and did not. came upstairs and it had wafted up there and it really messed up the beautiful aroma of my stuffed peppers that I made for dinner tonight. The peppers that I personally grew Ooh. in a garden. And then I wow. forgot about them. And I walked outside and went, oh, that's right. I planted peppers. Look at that. So <laughs> it was a nice surprise. I made them. They were delicious and I ruined it. Now it smells like red spray paint. What do you call the garden out there? You have a name for it. Right? Garden of Eaton. Garden
1: of Eaton. Yep.
2: <laughs> nice. It's about the corniest thing I've got in this house. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think I've it. seen it. That, you see that somewhere, somewhere you before. see what I did but...
1: with that? I see what you did there. Yeah, I <laughs> kind of got
2: it. Sorry. Sorry. So what episode are we on today? Well, I thought we try 94 again. Uh, again. We did so good at it. Actually, we did not so I'm kind of glad I I wasn't on my A game That was about a C Minus game for me Last week I don't know what it was But So mm-hmm. the, I'll get a chance To redeem myself Well, let's And hope, why are we
1: doing that? Yeah I was going to say Let's hope you didn't plan For this event to happen But yeah. I don't think so Because it happened In Cincinnati, Ohio Yeah
2: so you're all excited To go on this road trip Play some shows up north Not that that's that far north But from here it's up north
1: It was six and a half hours north That's up north so, That's the that's frozen north.
2: tundra Is <laughs>
1: there snow on the ground it was yet? 91 degrees <laughs> <laughs> Yeah so I drove up Saturday morning Let's talk about the good stuff first to play a gig with my band The Swear. first time we had played a show I believe since 2018 perhaps took a little break Uh, we had recorded in 2019 right before the pandemic and then we decided to release an album in July of 2020 right in the middle of the pandemic Mm so you know just great timing from our band kind of the way things have always gone for us but yeah my band The Swear, we played an opening spot in Cincinnati, Ohio and the show was great man The, Mm -hmm. the venue was cool it was the Ludlow Garage. It was a very famous venue that has been completely refurbished. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Almonds played there. I mean, everybody you could name from back in the day, classic rock-wise, has played at this place or recorded there. Or You know, it's, it's got a lot of history. And then I think it sold, and I think it sat for a while, and then somebody bought it, and they've completely redone it. And so you, it sounds amazing. You played
2: on the same stage as the Almond Brothers. I did. Nice. That's some street cred right there.
1: Yeah, so it was, it was pretty cool. And, you know, the way this works for opening bands is you're, you're given a time, you show up you try to find some place to park and you load in and for us because we were coming from I came from Atlanta the rest of the band were coming from Nashville I drove separately Mm -hmm. and I found a parking spot literally 50 feet from the door Mm -hmm. where I loaded in.
2: Yeah that's that's where they put the handicap parking. Yeah
1: so I mean it was (laughs) you know it was good proximity to load in and when I load in I open the back of my SUV and I'm unloading all my stuff and I've got heavy gear and I'm going from point A to point B and then back and thought nothing of it there was really nobody it was in an alley back alley there was really nobody back there um, there were some other v- venues uh, stores you know that was the back of those stores in the back of this venue we loaded in and didn't think anything of it played a great show Mr. Bill Elam showed up oh nice hung out with us and saw us live
2: and good to see a familiar face
1: yeah it was awesome came and talked to us afterwards. We actually, I remember we talked about it at the Rockin' Pod, but we talked about Angela Lisi, mm-hmm. who was Jack's Hollow's manager and drummer. She played drums for us. Fantastic. We did it as a trio. First time The Swears ever played as a trio, to my memory, at least, I believe.
2: You don't split the money as many ways. That's nice.
1: Oh, yeah. All that all that cash was just mm-hmm. rolling in. We bankrolled. Suitcases. Oh, yeah, Full it was it. crazy. So anyway, after the gig, uh, and we're opening for David Cook. So that's the other kind of interesting thing here is David Cook was an American Idol winner mm-hmm. in he's been releasing albums i don't know for probably a good 10 years and you know been on major labels been on i think some independents and still out there doing it and he was great man he was a super friendly guy his band were they were all great all nashville guys mm. and his crowd are mostly i wanted to say it was an older crowd but then mm. i realized like no it's not really an older crowd it's just we're older right now <laughs> so it's our age group very very young very yeah, young so at heart. It, was, it was our age group of a crowd mostly women which makes sense because they. Yeah. Cook was on American Idol. Nothing and, wrong with that, yeah, you know. And I thought, oh my God, we're going to melt faces. You know, I just didn't know <laughs> yeah. because he he is a he rocks, but he's kind of more on the pop it's side, suburban rock, like it's, it's soccer mom it's rock. Pop, it's pop rock. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was it's good. I actually got into some some of his songs. I really liked him, but I just didn't know what to expect. And we didn't make anybody leave that I could see. That's good. that's, so that's always, always, always good. a positive
2: is yeah. when the audience
1: actually just stays. Oh, I've played gigs before. Oh where yeah, we've I've cleared we've both. Rooms.
2: Yeah, we cleared yeah. a whole brewery out that mm-hmm. one time. Yeah, we've cleared rooms, and this was
1: not. <laughs> <laughs> that so i was thankful we did walk out and it was just silent as silent could be and the lights on the stage made it so you couldn't see anything yeah, outside you don't know if
2: there's 2 or 200 people and so
1: i just kind of looked up and i put my finger to my my mouth like shh and then all of a sudden people started erupting in laughter and, and <laughs> claps and all that and i was like oh there are people okay, out good. here and that's when i heard kevin williams and it was billy like um, shh <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, the show went well. We, you know, we didn't melt faces quite as much as I thought we would. Uh, great reception, had a lot of fun. It was great to be back on stage. It was a little weird to be back on stage yeah, because everybody's masked years. up and, you know, it's just different. It's mm. a different experience now. It's just the way it is. So I load my stuff back in my car, mm. lock it. Okay. The end of the night, I'm standing by the merch stand and I get the merch and I go out to my car. It's time to leave. And I notice that my water bottle is on the pavement because mm. I walk around to the passenger side of the car where I'm going to put in the merch. And I know I noticed that the water bottle is on the pavement. I'm like, that's odd. I know I didn't drop that. And sure enough, I opened the car and I realized that at some point during the night, and I'm thinking it was either when I was loading in mm-hmm. or when I was loading out that f- the 50 feet where I'm going back and forth. Somebody so sees the to opportunity past. to do a very quick, they didn't have to smash and grab because nothing was smashed. There was uh-huh. no sign of any, you know, forced entry into the car. They just seized an opportunity to get one over on me while I was loading in right. or loading out. And so I noticed all the stuff in my middle console had been rummaged through. There was a credit card sitting on the seat. I keep a credit card in the console. Uh-huh. They didn't take that. And I'm looking through and like all it, all that's in the, our middle console or pen, a tire gauge and a lot of masks. And they yeah. were just strewn all over tissues. the place. Yeah, tissues, <laughs> like normal stuff, right? And it's just strewn all over the front of the yeah. car, which I didn't see earlier because I wasn't in the front of the car. Mm-hmm. I was only in the back. Or it could have happened again when I was loading in. But I didn't see anything missing. And the, and the fact that that credit card was sitting there, I'm like, why didn't they take the credit card? And I thought, oh, well, maybe they took a picture of it. So I just, just cancel the card yeah. and no big deal. Couldn't find anything missing. Got all the way back to my hotel and I'm like, what could they have taken? And then I realized I had stuffed my laptop and we have a we have a laptop with all of our pie. Pod- podcast on it. Uh-huh. Uh, everything that we do, we record on a laptop, and I had taken the laptop and the extra hard drive that has all the music on it with me because I thought, if I have some downtime, I'll just go ahead and do some editing while I'm waiting to go on stage. Uh-huh. Well, that didn't come to fruition because it, we were right up against the wire with loading in and getting sound checked. So I had put my laptop bag underneath. My backpack was underneath the front seat. Uh-huh. That's what they got. Uh-huh. So they got, all, uh, they got two nice pairs of headphones. They got my external hard drive with all all my music on it, and they got my laptop with our podcast. So that is why, folks, we didn't have a podcast last week. And if you
2: hear of another podcast that sounds like an (laughs) obscure, that's a bogus...
1: If somebody edits uh, the episode and puts it up... Yeah, that's
2: completely bogus. That's not really us doing that. So let's just go ahead and get that out there in case they do a really crappy job of talking about obscure
1: bands like Rush and Pink Floyd. So some (laughs) dumbass out there. So, of course, I took Monday off, and I spent all day, basically Getting new passwords for everything I could imagine, any financial I would stuff be, I, I would had. Be so lost. The good thing is, thank God for the cloud. Okay, thank God for OneDrive. Ask so if you had I had backups. Yep, I have everything was saved to OneDrive in the cloud for me, and I got a new laptop that we're recording on today, and I'm able to access everything except the only thing that didn't save was that recording that we did last week and I don't know why that is everything else was in the folders but for some reason to the ether world I guess I shut it down before it could mm-hmm. do the backup and I had not opened that laptop since we recorded so that's why well, we're
2: gonna just like I said I remember everything we talked about word for word so at some point we're gonna just
1: it'll be so genuine
2: yeah I'll just <laughs> repeat everything that I said but no the, the reality is I could do the show the next morning and it would be a completely different show show, right is Mr. Short-Term Memory over here. I, well, i here, It's like what a, I'm... It's a prelude to having Alzheimer's because yeah. it's like brand new every time. I'm like, oh, this is great. Oh, that's right. We have talked about this.
1: <laughs> so here's what I'm going to do. I am going to save all the show notes that yeah. I had from last time and we're just going to resurrect that sometime down the road. Yeah, when we feel like it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Let's just wait a minute. And that way it'll be fresh and it'll be
1: like I've never done it. Because I have some other things planned coming up that w- that's just not going to fit in for a little bit. So okay. we'll revisit it. By the time we revisit it, you will have completely forgotten. <laughs> So, three hours. It will be fresh.
2: <laughs> Get to I it. don't know what I had for lunch today. It's just great. I just Everything's brand new as you go through life. Oh, that's great. I've never seen that before. You're like, a, fi- this you're like a fish. Yeah. Just, it's about every uh, hour and a half cycle. Yeah. Give me about an hour and a half. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Look, uh, a red car. Oh, that's mine.
1: <laughs> All right. So this is our second attempt at episode 94. <laughs> son of a bitch. Ronnie James D.O.G. is ready, he apparently. He's doing so good. What are we doing, man? What are you doing over there? What are we doing? You just want to bark? He's going to give us the episode. Okay. Oh, is that okay. it? What is it? Say it again, bud. Oh, yes? Yeah, that's it? Come One on. word? Come on. Oh, shit. Here he comes. Yeah. Yeah, I need more. <laughs> give me more. Uh-huh. And? Oh, okay. All right. I think I got it. I think I got it. So... Yeah, well. Okay. I got it, man. He's, <gasps> everybody's oh. a critic. Jeez. I'm gonna tell him. Okay. Well, I got what he what he was Good. telling me. Yeah. He yeah. was. He was. Yeah. He, you and him worked on this earlier. We did. We have a thing. You yeah. know. This is episode 94. Thank you again, Ronnie James D.O.G. I already knew that, he but he was glad just reminding us because you lost some information. He's concerned yeah. about that. I'm glad he said it three times. Yes. Yeah. But I did catch that he said this is going to be another episode of shredding. The tomb. Ooh. However, what I heard was this episode is how low can you go? go, go, go? Oh, that's what he, bark bark. That was the bark, bark bark bark. So today we'll be talking about shredders, oh, but we're talking nice. about bass players. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I know yeah. so much about that. Mm, this is my episode. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we are going to be talking about the amazing bass players. And a lot of these guys we're going to talk about today are not that obscure. So yeah, I'll have to put my spin on it and maybe play something that's a little more obscure from these people. But me being a bass player, even when I wasn't a bass player, I always pay attention to the bass guitar. That's always been my favorite instrument. Right. And, we, so, and we've
2: talked about how 80s bass playing was the easiest gig in the world for 80, most 80s hair bands and things like that. Because what was it? The root note, eighths. Eighth. Eighth. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I mean, I could have done that. I wouldn't have looked as good as those guys, but I could have done that. But good bass players.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Those we're, are the guys that make it happen. We're, we're This is shredding the tomb, yeah. man. so we're gonna we're just gonna jump into my number one favorite bass player of all time who. Tell me does, who it is.
2: Does it involve potted meat? We're gonna get to oh, him. Oh, okay, okay. We're gonna okay. get to him. No. Oh no, uh, I actually have to think now. Uh, your favorite bass player of all time? Not Roger Waters. Nope. Um, uh, the guy from Yes. That Squart?
1: Not Squart. Oh damn it! You can't remember his name, Chris? Chris Squire. Squire. That is. Well, no. no, I was remembering the name, but I was like, no, that's a guitar player. Well, he's my second favorite. Oh, so who's my favorite bass player of all time? Man? This, this should be easy for you.
2: Oh, Gene Simmons. What am I thought? Oh my god. Of course, it's Gene Simmons. You got that wrong too. I'll say he's not really a shredder right he's not a shredder
1: i do love gene yeah you do i do love love his bass player but no uh is a is a canadian guy that i like quite a Uh, bit
2: oh yeah mr Uh, robert e lee
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes we're talking about we're talking about getty lee yeah i should have yes yes and if you don't know who he is or if you don't think of him more as a keyboard player (laughs) (laughs) he's a singer keyboardist singer
2: (laughs) keyboard he's a lead singer he's a front man Bass is third. Of course, he's an amazing bass player. Of course,
1: he's th- he's just my
2: guy. The he's, fact that he can play those bass lines and sing at the same time, mad credit for that. And play keys with his and feet. Like, oh, that, oh, okay, I didn't know what he's is, playing
1: that with. With the pedals and... <laughs> I don't want to ask what he's playing that third. <laughs> Mr. Johnson? Yeah, so Getty Lee, man. If you don't know who Rush are, then you're probably listening to the wrong podcast. Um, you need to go dive in somewhere else or listen to rock radio. How about that?
2: We need some remedial podcasting before you come back to us. <laughs>
1: However, I will say we did episode 11. We did a Rush special here at In Obscuria. That was when Neil Peart passed away yes. and we played some more obscure instrumentals and more obscure music from Rush. So you can go back and listen to that, but I'm not going to go into the history of Rush because there's a whole Why lot not? There. You know you want to. Yeah, well we don't have that We ball. can
2: do an offshoot like a spinoff
1: of just of just Rush. Scuria. Scuria. <laughs> We're just doing Scuria. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about Canada's finest export, Rush. And like I said, hands down, my biggest influence on bass playing, not so much the way I play, but just when I think of the instrument itself, he's the first guy that pops into mind, along with some of these other guys you've mentioned, (laughs) which we will get to. But he's the number one. He's just the ultimate bass player to me. And again, he's just edging out the guy we're going to talk about after this, who we've already mentioned. And he actually released one solo album. Did you know this? No. Yeah. So all those Rush albums. I've never heard of solo albums. These he, kids. You know, he's done some project stuff like where he's played on yeah, a song here or songs. there. One-off. I mean,
2: the Take Off, the Great White. Exactly. No we played
1: that. Bob we, and Doug McKenzie. That's right. And you can go back to episode 11 and hear that. And yeah, so in the year 2000. Year 2000. Year 2000. He put out a solo album. I think he was wondering maybe if Rush were done at that point because there were some things going on with Neil. And so he put out an album called My Favorite Headache. And it's pretty cool because it's not too far removed from Rush because if you think about Rush, again, he's singing, he's playing bass and keys, so... The only thing left is guitar and drums, right? Mm. So he kind of is the... A driving force. driving force of Rush up front. But what he did on his solo album was he multi multitracked some basses. So you don't get that on Rush mm. albums, you know. So you've got multiple layers of bass. And the arrangements are a little bit different than, say, what Life Center or Peart would have done with them. So let's jump into a little My Favorite Headache from 2000. My Favorite Bass Player of All Time. And here he is just kind of showing off a little bit. This is called Home on the Strange.
2: Was that him playing tambourine?
1: I think that was him, yeah. Had to be.
2: (laughs) Multifaceted. Multifaceted. (laughs) With his feet. With his feet. Probably so, yeah. It's a couple of things, not a couple of things, like 20 things. <laughs> that riff at the beginning, in the middle, I don't think I heard the song before you and I recorded a song called Waterfall. Uncomfortably mm-hmm. close to what Getty wrote for that song. I'm, Interesting. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm worried about a lawsuit now because, you know, we made so much money off that that she's going to come looking for it sooner or later. But anyway, so I, I'm kind of happy that it, you know, when you hear something that reminds you of something and it reminds you of your own song, you're like, oh. <laughs> Right. That's kind of cool. <laughs> right. So we're you know the the keyboard to The bass thing Was reminding me Of when Eddie Picked up the keyboards And would go back and forth And how his keyboards Were more just Continuations of his own leads And Geddes was more Atmospheric he had a Always co- He yeah. had a lead In yeah. Subdivisions And I'm sure A couple other songs But even those leads Were very Tom ju- Sawyer He's got that Yeah But still rhythmic leads Right Yep And I love that I think that's one reason I love Subdivisions I'm one of the weirdos That you know That'll be my favorite Rush song Because of the keys That just give a layer To that song I love Red the, the Sector a, That is Yeah, all, that's another one that too. all keyboard. Yeah. And so I, you know, I know Rush purists eschew that. So they eschew, eschew that. I'm getting into a realm where I'm saying words that I don't know how to You're pronounce. You're making them. up words over there. No, there's a, there's a word. There, there's a word. I'm going to look it up. And bring, I'll come back later. Anyway, <laughs> so that realm of the more atmospheric Rush songs so it's the ones I gravitate to. But I know a lot of purists just only had the first three albums, I think.
1: Did you notice the double bass? You had multiple bass layers on Yeah, there? there's
2: like tracks. And I mean, it yeah. doesn't quite ride Spinal Tap with like four
1: bases no, at the same no, time. I thought about playing Big Bottom tonight, but <laughs> I, I decided not to. I decided that would be a little. How too How do you choose obvious. which bass player from that one? You know? Yeah, well, Derek Smalls is really, really it. But <laughs> moving on, we're going to talk about my number two bass player, and this is really a tie with Getty Lee for me. This is Mister Christopher Russell Edward Squire, born what born day? March fourth, nineteen forty eight. Deceased, blood, June 27th, blood 2015. Blood type, favorite color. I actually, I will, I will say this out loud and not be concerned at all, but I actually did shed a tear when I found out that Chris Squire oh. died.
2: No, that's, not, that's perfectly fine. He,
1: uh, he meant a lot to me from, from a bass playing perspective as well as just yes or I know, I know there are rock guys out there listening yeah. to this right now, like, yes, sucks. <laughs> I love yes. They're my, they're in my top three. I've got Kiss, Rush, mm-hmm. and Yes. Those are my top three, always will be. And most of the reason that I love two of the bands, Rush and Yes, are because of the bass players. Mm-hmm. The bass playing is so amazing in all of the Yes music. Yes started in 1969 yeah. and has 21 studio albums, 18 live albums and 37 compilations.
2: And for those of you who have wow. never been to Kevin's basement music studio extraordinaire, there's a picture of him standing next to... Mr. Chris Squire. Mr. Crisquire. That
1: ah, was so great. <laughs> uh, it was, that was a, that was a big day. Yeah, you were pretty happy. Yeah, it was a big day for me. So he's known as much for his backing vocals in that band as his amazing bass playing. I mean, yes, Oh, they've sir. got lots of harmonies all throughout a Just, And he's the main driver on those yeah. harmonies. He is that, that high harmony that sings with... With John Anderson and he's a big dude to hit those high, you, you wouldn't expect that he's a huge man when I met him the yeah. guy was in his 70s I believe and he he's was a just foot taller than huge. you
2: and you're not yeah. exactly short
1: yeah, he's, he's a big dude. And he is regarded as the dominant bass player among all those English progressive bands that came out mm-hmm. in the early 70s. He is the one, even though there's a ton of, you've got Greg Lake, you've got John Wetton, you've got all these guys that were amazing. Chris Squire kind of stands above them all. And mostly because of his really unique sound. Mm-hmm. He's one of these guys that early on realized that he could run his bass. So he played a Rickenbacker for one, mm-hmm. which at that time, there weren't that many Rickenbackers in England. That's a, It's a California-made company. Rickenbacker's out of California. okay, And there weren't that many in England, and he got one of the only ones at that time. And he ran it through not only a base rig, but also a Marshall. So early lemmy exactly so and so lemmy's the other one when you think about the Bocker, there are three bass players you think about Yep. lemmy chris squire and getty lee and two out 70s, of three run it through a marshall stack yeah and and two of those ran it through because the Bocker has a really good high tone mm-hmm. so you get this great high this great low and especially if you run it through those amps so if you're not a bass player basically basses usually run through a bass rig right it's a woofer just like on your stereo mm-hmm. you you have your bass coming out of your woofers and Speakers your are designed tweeters, to handle they're that They're designed low. for those frequencies. Mm-hmm. And then your tweeters are what gives you the high end on your stereo. Same thing with guitar amps. Those are made to handle those higher frequencies, which a guitar has. And so you get all this mid-range and high out of these guitar amps with a bass going through it and a Rickenbacker, for some reason, just works really well with that sound. And so he is basically the person that established that whole sound. So anyway, he's known as much for his proficiency in playing, but also the sounds and the tones as well as his voice. So just all around pretty amazing musician. And he also, he is the only person I'm going to play today that plays with a pick. He always played with a pick. Mm-hmm. I play with a pick because I started off on guitar and that's just how I learned to play. And I just, I found the attack on the bass for me was better with a pick than my fingers. Mm-hmm. I got real thuddy and duddy with my fingers and I just didn't like that tone. And so I played with a pick as well. And I still do, do to this day. Now, what he did was interesting because you know what pinch harmonics are. Obviously yeah. you, you play guitar. Do you do it with your thumb? How do you do a pinch harmonic? Back my thumb. Back your thumb, right. So he is the person who invented sort of invented, that. He plays his bass, or he played his bass with a really strong grip on the pick mm-hmm. he would not only hit it with the pick but he'd also hit it with his thumb mm-hmm. and there's this, this very slight delay and when you listen to his bass that's how he gets that unique attack on the bass. Interesting. It's because it's like a double hit every time. So pretty interesting that he was developed this own style but he strikes the strings with the pick and the thumb at the same time. And just
2: draws out the ring a little bit more.
1: Yeah. So you get these really subtle harmonics that you know players like Zach Wilde and oh God. you know those guys would king, exploit that later. The king but, of pinch harmonics. Yeah. You know, the other thing he did was if you think about Eddie Van Halen and Steve Hackett and some of these other guys he also used hammer-ons and pull-offs on a bass mm-hmm. which wasn't really a thing those were guitar tricks mm-hmm. you know for these lead guys that do these hammer-ons and pull-offs and he put that into his bass playing so again just unique as well as back in the day if you had a you know, if you listen to Jimi Hendrix back in the day in the 60s, early 70s, he may have been running two or three pedals, and he kind of started that. So he was the first one. He had that wah-wah going. He had some phasers and some different things mm-hmm. going to get those weird, crazy Jimi Hendrix tones. Well, Chris Squire thought that was cool, and so he was one of the first guys on bass to set up all that stuff as well. So he also had a chorus, flanger, wah-wah, all sorts of stuff going through his bass that was just unheard of at the time and became sort of the norm. So again, he's kind of a pioneer in, in bass playing. Not the answer.
2: When it gets into the realm of my favorite bass sounds, when they kind of play more like a guitar. Yeah. Because that's my
1: wheelhouse. Yep. And that's, he played melodic bass. That's mm. how he played. He can hold down the, the bottom and, and hold down the rhythm, but he always would do both. Mm. So he kind of lead on top of what he was holding down. Very unique. One of the reasons he's, he's one of my favorites. So I'm obviously not going to play a Yes song. <laughs> I'm not going to play anything from his couple of solo albums. He did some stuff with the guy that replaced him in Yes Now. So when he passed away, he handpicked his his uh, successor. Successor. Yes, thank you. And that's Billy Sherwood. He plays bass in Yes Now. And he did some albums with Billy Sherwood. They were good friends. Where Billy Sherwood is is this guy who can play any instrument mm. basically, and so they did a couple albums together. I'm not going to play from those albums, I am going to play from something that came out in 2012 with none other than ex Genesis guitarist Steve Hackett. So it's Hackett and Squire together. They made one album, they just did it for fun, and it's called Squack It. Squack it. Squack it. Squack it. <laughs> 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 you know, I don't think they were looking to do much with this other yeah, than just put out some obviously by fun that title,
2: user- that tells you right there, they didn't get a rat's ass.
1: Exactly. So uh, let's try a little squacket from Mr. Quiskwire.
2: Good stuff very reminiscent of like later pink floyd like the, not post division bell like a lot of Richard Wright stuff they just kind of i don't say they didn't care, but they were they had no agenda it was a lot of really really i mean even for pink Floyd, really mellow stuff so that was really cool. I'm sure they had a good time doing that.
1: Yeah, I think it's more for if you're listening to Chris Squire for the first time, that's more of his groove, more laid back kind of yeah, sound. It wasn't as proggy you hear, as it could have been, but you could hear that tone, and they did get proggy through the through the end there, where they were doing some runs yeah. and things like that. Obviously, I'm not going to play a 13 minute Yes song. Uh-huh. Here. We could. I mean, we owner did of really. a lonely heart. <laughs> well, and th- that probably had a similar tone to what he used on owner of a lonely heart. That yeah. was that sounded kind of like that same setup where he's going more for a groove on right. his bass than that kind of of lead sound but I just thought it really represented his tone mm-hmm. really well because you had those highs and those lows in that so you know so you know
2: how Foo Fighters have delved into disco they did a disco album and then the DGs the, well then they did a complete Bee Gees cover too
1: yeah the DGs
2: the DG, yeah the DGs but there's some other stuff so now they've announced they're going to do the most incredible prog rock album ever yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I cannot wait to hear this because they're not going to hold back. They're going to. It's going to be the most nudely over the top prog rock album ever recorded. Did, so did you ever hear the amazing. Dave
1: Grohl song? I I can't remember what it was called. It was either like just play or play or something like that. I can't remember, but it was one song. It took up an entire <laughs> side of an album. No, I haven't. And it's him playing every single instrument. And they have go check this out. It's on YouTube. Uh-huh. It was some sort of benefit, but I they actually I have the vinyl. It's been a while since I've listened to it, but it's him and you watch the video and he basically has two or three drum kits set up. So he gets these different sounds and he basically plays a beat and kind of loops it. And then moves over goes to the, over next, to the kit. next thing. And then he does the same thing with bass, guitar, and he's playing everything, but he's uh-huh. obviously, you know, overdubbing and multi tracking right. But, but still, it's, he's doing it in as real time as he can. Uh-huh. It's really cool. It's a really cool watch.
2: He's such a talented
1: son of a bitch. He's a talented dude. And he's, he's playing keys. He's doing guitar. He's doing bass, everything. I'll, I'll have everything. to check that out. It's really Cuff-C-P- cool.
2: People do that on videos Where they do a three Or four minute song and Right I, I'm always dubious As how much of that Is actually live Like did they go back And how much editing Did they do I mean it looks cool On the video But in real life How many tracks did? I mean how many takes Did it take It might just be called Play Play I think You just hit play I could, I could be go. wrong
1: Something like that But anyways Just right, Dave so, Grohl
2: So we'll have to feature His most progressive Rock album ever
1: Hey I welcome it I remember when they did The introduction of Our induction of Rush uh-huh. They were the band that inducted the- Oh, God and they went out and they were wearing the jumpsuits from 2112 uh-huh. and they did the trio and they basically played the whole Temples of Syrinx in 2112 to start the whole thing off and then Rush is behind them and starts playing after they finish it's really really cool <laughs> is there okay if you haven't seen R- that go remind look at, me to look that up i want to see that that's the the rock and roll hall of fame in, induction of okay. Rush and it's right. the Foo Fighters play first that's got to be on youtube i'll go look it's it it's great it is it's great it is absolutely great uh, and also Alex Lifeson does a speech where all he says is blah What? he's taking the piss out of the music industry. he's like blah, blah,
2: blah, 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 I'm sure by then he would
1: had a it goes on for like five minutes. And furthermore, blah 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 blah. Okay,
2: I'll look that one up too.
1: Anyway, back to the bass players. So one of my earliest exposures to amazing bass playing was when I first got into punk rock. And I don't know about you, but even to this day, for people who are non-musicians, trying to explain when they're hearing something something, mm. what the bass is, is kind of tricky for people that don't really know. They yeah. just see somebody standing there with a guitar. They don't understand that there's two different tones coming out yeah. and that there's two different things going on. It's in between it, it's, the
2: guitar and the drums. You got to listen a, real quick. A lot of people
1: don't hear it. No. They don't understand. They feel it, but they don't really understand that they're hearing it. Mm. They think a guitar is a guitar, right? right? They understand what a guitar sounds like, but they don't really understand a bass. So that was kind of me when I first got into music. Yeah, I didn't really good. understand. Unfortunately, a lot of guitar players are that way still. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly <laughs> what there's a bass here the, I didn't know there was a bass in the room the White Stripes didn't even realize that they didn't have that. they didn't need it yeah so anyway when I was first listening to punk rock I didn't really understand myself until I heard this band and then I got it and the band I'm talking about is Suicidal Tendencies and mm. I don't know how he's done it but Mike Murr who is the singer for Suicidal Tendencies he's the singer for he does a, a side project called Psycho Michael he does a band called No Mercy he has this other band called Infectious Grooves I don't know how he's done it his entire career but the man has always had the uncanny ability to pick the most amazing bass players of all time. Like, mm-hmm. there's never been a bad player in any of those bands, and he's had a bunch he, of them. He's
2: the bass whisperer.
1: He is the bass whisperer, man. I don't know how he does it. We covered Infectious Grooves in our very first Something Smells Funky. That was episode 15. And I wanted to play something that was heavy but funky at the same time, and that's mm-hmm. exactly what Infectious Grooves are. So it's basically suicidal, but a funk version of suicidal. Ooh. And the guy that he got to play on those first several Infectious Grooves Albums is this man that doesn't really need much of an introduction now because he happens to be the bass player for this band called Metallica. I'm talking about Robert Trujillo. Ooh, that, that guy. But when you hear him play Metallica, you don't quite understand what the man is capable of. No,
2: there's a reason he got the job, not just because he can yeah. fill in for Newstead.
1: He before Metallica, he played for Suicidal. He played on four Suicidal records. He played on five Infectious Groove albums. And oh, by the way, he also played in Ozzy's band. And he actually, I think Sharon Osbourne made him re-record. The bass parts on a couple of those early Ozzy albums so that they could get out of paying the original guys. Oh, yeah. Whoa. So there were versions of Diary of a Madman with Robert Trujillo playing bass. On, oh, that's so just... that they didn't have to pay Bob Daisley.
2: What did he do to piss off Sharon?
1: <laughs> he wanted more money, I guess. He wanted his cut. But he also played with Jerry Cantrell. He's also played with Black Label Society. But you do not understand what Robert Trujillo is all about until you hear some infectious grooves. So I'm going to let you hear a little good for nothing. This is bass, man.
0: <laughs> Boop 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 boop
2: You have a hard time picking out the bass in that.
1: (laughs) Once again, (laughs) I'll I'll recommend some other podcast for you. (laughs) The dude, I mean, you don't hear that in Metallica. Obviously, he plays some killer stuff in Metallica, but but not that. That is wow.
2: I'd love to see the tablature for that.
1: Just smear across the page. Oh, man. Dude's amazing. I love bass playing like that. So let's talk about another one of these guys. And uh, I'm just going to mention one product, and you'll know exactly who this is. Potted meat. Mm. Mm. It's been two hours since I
2: had dinner. I'm almost there.
1: Who is the bass player who loves his potted meat, his deviled ham, both chicken and ham? (laughs) True. He goes both ways. He goes both ways. Mr. Billy Sheehan. 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 (laughs) Sheehan. So we've talked about Billy. Not uh, it wasn't we, too long ago, actually. We we have talked with Billy. We've talked with Billy. Yes. We
2: we discussed the let's milk that as long as we can. Yeah, why not? We had a picture with him. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he has he owns and has devoured our potted meat. <laughs> that our branded potted up <laughs>
1: branded potted meat and was quite giddy about yes. it. Yes, yeah, so yes. We're talking about the you know the guy who's won multiple multiple best rock bass player of all time awards and best lead bass, best you know guy who does chords and two handed tap. Tass- he's basically the Eddie Van Halen of bass guitar and, and now he's in your top 5 yet another honor Ab- absolutely is it top 5 or top 10 oh no definitely top 5 ok top 5 definitely top 5 I lost yes. track. and I saw him way back open for Rush so if, if you're a bass player you saw Billy open oh, for wow. Getty you, I mean you just got bass player's wet dream yeah. you know that and I saw that twice yeah, two different tours. Shower after that yeah it was crazy so played with David Lee Roth that's where most people know him from we played Talos a few weeks ago mm-hmm. his first band out of Buffalo and Wait, it,
2: was he just Billy Sheehan at opening for Rush, or what band was it? No, that was
1: Mr. Big. Oh, yeah, Mr. So, Big. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, okay. so two albums with Roth, two albums with Talis, two albums with Roth, and then he did nine albums with Mr. Big. Did you even know they had that many? No, not that many. He did, uh, there was another project he had called Niacin, which is like a, kind of a jazzy, funky bass and ham and organ thing he did, and he's mm. done eight albums with Niacin. He's done some solo stuff. He's done Winery Dogs, which is with Richie Kotzen and Mike Portnoy, Sons of Apollo, which is again with Portnoy and Derek Sherinian, and Humblefoot and Jeff Scott Soto. So he's just this amazing bass player. He's played with everyone and everybody knows who he is. But most people don't know his solo stuff. That's not, Mm -hmm. of all those things I just mentioned, the solo stuff is probably the most unknown and the most obscure. So that's where we're going to go. So let's hear a little Billy Sheehan from his album, Cosmic Troubadour, that came out in 2005. A little more proggy, probably leads the way to what he's doing now with Sons of Apollo, but badass Billy Sheehan. Here it is. (laughs)
2: So the previous song, we talked about the skills of that bass player, and the, the the tone was like a snappy tone, but it funky, it's got really tight, not a lot of reverb. This one was more of a rolling thunder. Right. It just <laughs> rolled, and just rolled, and rolled, and rolled, and rolled, It just never stopped. I mean, just a driving bass line, that's an understatement for that song. I mean, that song, the, the bass line made that song. Of course, I'm sure, you know, it was...
1: Built around it Built that's around it the bass line yeah. Exactly
2: Exactly So that just With the laid back ly- vocals Kind of just You know More of a lyrical vocal Did you know he was a singer?
1: No Yet, I so didn't know he could Sing like that You don't realize When you listen to Mr. Big And, and I'm talking Outside of the, the big head That everybody knows yeah. But when you listen to Mr. Big A lot of those background vocals That's Billy And a lot of the talus stuff That's Billy Yeah I had no idea He was also a singer You can hear it When you listen to this stuff Damn good Amazing The guy is amazing So we met another bass player When we were at the and Pod Expo Nashville, Tennessee, and this one was kind of random. Yeah, he kind of walked up he to was us. Lost. He, well,
2: <laughs> hey man, you know where the bar is.
1: <laughs> so actually, Brad introduced us. Yeah, that's uh, right. He was talking to Brad, and, and I'm talking about a guy named Martin Motnik, and he is the bass player, the new bass player for Accept. So Accept is a German metal band that has been around for over 40 years, and for over 40 years they had the same bass player, Peter Baltus. Well, he retired or, or left Accept mm. in 2018, and the guy that got to replace him is Martin Motnik who we met, again, we had a great conversation with mm-hmm. him. He played the wild card game with us. If you've listened to that episode, you heard him. He was, he was hilarious. Little did I know, I mean, obviously he's playing for Accept. Mm-hmm. Of course he's good. Yeah. But little did I know how good he is. The guy is a, is a virtuoso. He's amazing. And so he reached out to me and said, hey, uh, really had fun. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Hey, I'm, I'm doing this whole new album thing. And I if you want to hear some of it, you know, I'll let you hear Dude, a little bit of it. no way. Yeah, so he's given me a little early access to to something that he's recording uh-huh. and he's like, yeah, I've got some pretty big names playing with me on this, this is pretty cool. What I'm doing. So, this is his second solo album. So, he's. I, I was waiting for you to go, yeah, but they couldn't show up.
2: So, hey, do you want to come up and record with us? <laughs>
1: well, no. I mean, because I'm a bass player too. He does not need me. That's for sure.
2: Well, I didn't know if they're going to do like the, you know, Spinal Tap version, <laughs>
1: the bass chorus. The, the bunch of basses. Yeah. So, anyway, he's putting together this new album and he's got some pretty amazing guys guesting on different songs. So, he's got Joe Satriani on a song. He has Wolf Hoffman, obviously, from Accept on one of the songs. Bruce Q. From Kiss, mm-hmm. Derek Shrinian, who's a keyboard player we've already named, who was in Dream Theater and Sons of Apollo, Christopher Williams, who was another guy that we interviewed and talked to and mm-hmm. had a lot of fun with at the Rock and Pod. He's the drummer from Accept, and also Greg Bissonette, who played with David Lee Roth and Billy Sheehan in Roth's band, and uh, just a whole bunch of other like jazz cats, a lot of jazz names. And his stuff is kind of in between like instrumental Satriani type jazz rock mm-hmm. and more pure jazz, like more modern electric jazz.
2: He was going in a vastly different
1: direction than except just yeah. To kind of so, I mean, obviously of, he's got a lot going on. There's even some songs that he's playing uh, stand up on. So he's playing traditional bass on it, and then he <laughs> he has one piece where it's just him solo doing a classical piece, and he's doing two hand tapping so that he can play both parts. Of course, amazing. So this thing is being crowdfunded. So I'm uh, gonna let everybody know when this comes out. The crowdfunding will still be going on. So it goes on until October tenth, twenty twenty one. So Get out there and support Martin. Take a listen to this. We're going to play the song that he plays. Are you going to provide a link? I am. I'm going to provide a link, and I'm going to tell you right now. Just go to www.motnik.com. Dot com which is m-o-t-n-i-k check it out you can see who he's playing with and you can just go help fund it man it's really really cool and i am going to play a song that uh just happens to feature mr joe satriani so this is the very first song i believe that's going to be on the album he could change the order it's not finished yet he's still putting the final touches on it but you, we're gonna you're, you're going
2: to send him some notes after we listen and maybe give him some feedback i'll give him a little yeah, yeah change little the mix a little feedback,
1: bit yeah <laughs> so here I am. yeah, maybe take Satriani
2: out yeah, I don't just know that he's necessary. yeah superfluous
1: <laughs> yeah so not only do you get Mr. Badass Martin Motnick playing multiple bass layers so he's playing you know the the bass he's holding down the rhythm and he's doing like all these lead stuff and then he just happens to bring in Joe Satriani mm-hmm. in the middle of the song so check it out this is really cool <laughs>
2: All right. So when you talk to him and you give him the notes, uh, definitely tell him that that entrance into the lead, the guitar lead by Joe, was bullshit. Completely took me out of that song. You should have eased into that a little bit more. Just, you know, walking up to your lady and just going for it, and every once in a while that may work, but sometimes they like to be warmed up a little bit, <laughs> and that was, was the case. I was it was not, not subtle. That was not subtle at all. Yeah. He, I, I would like to have been warmed up a little bit before he jumped in that squealing
1: That's not the way lead. Joe does it, man.
2: No, but he could have He could have done it. He has the ability to do that. I've heard his leads before, and he's got some really <laughs> beautiful leads that are melodic, and it was such a groovy well, song. he ended it very melodic. He, d- he did. Yeah, That's he, what I'm he saying. was just it. Was just, jumps it just it. took me out of a very good place and put be in a bad place and i didn't want to be in that place i want to be back in the good place
1: i, I thought it was all <laughs> and good by the time me, i but... got
2: back to the good place the song was over <laughs> so just tell him that tell him i said uh, that. I'll, I'll let him know I'll, yeah. I'll let him know to get back to joe yeah and, just tell uh, joe to joe, go back you need a second take it's buddy. just like the you know the first you know 10 bars of that lead go back and take it down about three notches <laughs> then go all the way i mean don't don't take a whole thing down just the intro to the lead was a little abrupt <laughs>
1: I dug it. Whatever, I liked it. I hear you. Amazing use of layering of bass. Yeah. I mean, he's uh, that whole first half until Joe Satriani comes in. It's it's all Christopher Williams playing yeah. drums and Martin Motnik, two guys that we had a chat with not yeah. too long ago and just killing it man god, i
2: remember it reminds me of my first four track and trying to figure out how to use it no instructions just pushing buttons and turning knobs and you know making layers and that was just so cool but this is way before they had loop pedals or anything like right that, yeah, when you could yeah. just lay down a rhythm and then put another Play rhythm and then yeah. at some point you, you know you started bouncing tracks and it just started getting just a, a mash of crap but you know the first few times you did that it was just like god this is the best song ever
1: so the whole album is amazing again the release date for this thing is november 10th of 21 but the campaign the crowdfunding is on indie i think it's called indiegogo and that's going on until october 10th again go to motnik.com which is m-o-t-n-i-k i'll put it in the show notes as well but if you go in and you do any funding of the album you get a thank you as executive producer of the album so you get you get your name in there comes over and cooks dinner for you yeah you get uh you can get pre-release copies you can get shirts you can get Get all sorts of things, gold and platinum records, all sorts of stuff he's offering, depending on how much you want to give him. <laughs> Wash your car. <laughs> really cool recording, and I wish the best yeah, to him on good. that. It's really cool it did stuff. did sound good. Very different, obviously, in the next set, but the man is multifaceted. Yes. And let's just go into the weird since we've started down this path. This next band, I don't really know what they are. Um, they straddle jazz, rock, bluegrass, prog, and jammy stuff.
2: Definitely not kiss.
1: It's Definitely not kiss. They have they they
2: ripped off all of those, but they didn't straddle them.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, when you hear them, be like, I don't know, I don't know what to call this, and I've never known what to call it, but I've always enjoyed it, and it features one of the baddest bass players ever to hold the instrument, Mr. Victor Wooten. Ooh, have you ever heard of Victor Wooten? Oh yeah, yeah, dude is royalty. Amazing. I've watched the guy play two basses at one time. (laughs) What? I didn't even know that's a thing. What, is it like a two-neck base or like two no, separate had, bases? No, he had one on a stand he had what? one on a stand and then he was now I believe Stanley Clark did this t- as well Okay, who uh, was a jazz cat who kind of did all the fusion stuff oh and by the way Victor Wooten just happens to be in another band uh, not the one we're going to we're going to play but he's in another band which contains three virtuoso jazz players Stanley Clark Marcus Miller and Victor Wooten they're called SMV I'm going to save you from that because that is like jazz fusion bass like uh, hit it, hit make, you make, you, it make your head hurt yeah It'll make there's you head a lot hurt. of thinking involved it's, it's crazy but this guy's just a badass and I saw this group three or four times in the early 90s. I haven't seen them since then, but they were amazing. The band I'm talking about is Bela Fleck and the Fleck Tones. And not only do they have one of the world's most badass bass players, but they have an electric banjo Yeah,
2: how many electric banjos are there out there? Not many. You could probably fit them in a very small minivan. Who doesn't just play
1: bluegrass. He's like playing rock slash jazz with his banjo. And it's electric. Blue jazz. He gets all these weird sounds out of it. And oh, by the way, they also have this guy who plays the synth axe drumatar. So they didn't have a drummer. They had a guy who had this homemade contraption that looked like a guitar and had buttons all over like it. Like a guitar. Like a key. Well, it without looked more, the keys. it looked more like a guitar than a guitar. It did. Oh, okay. It didn't have keys like a like a keyboard. It had buttons on it instead and of where you would have the strings, and they were all triggers. And he was doing this in the early 90s. This is a kind of new thing. Yeah. And his name is Future Man. Now he is actually Victor Wooten's brother, but he's amazing. He plays Fe- all these Future Wooten. Yeah. <laughs> He plays all these amazing rhythms on this thing that's just handheld. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like crazy, cool electric drums. Again, I don't really know how to label this group. But when you hear this song, you'll understand why I'm playing it on the bass episode today. Here is The Sinister Minister from Bela Fleck and the Flecktones,
0: 1990. Mm ¶¶
2: I would love to have been at the very first conversation where somebody goes hey, i will sort of band. <laughs> Jazz band? Cool, yeah. I play banjo. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I don't even I mean, how would you even describe what you just Dirt. heard? It, it's bail of flag. I mean, that's always been that way because there's nobody
1: else doing that. Nobody sounds like that.
2: And I I got to say as far as, you know, not just the uniqueness of playing banjo in a jazz band, his skills playing banjo, if you've never played banjo, which I have, those strings are strung pretty tight. And to get those many bends and noodliness of those strings, that's not easy to do. Same thing with the bass. I have played bass. I sucked so bad at it, I think we quickly decided that I was gonna stay playing guitar. But you were talented and can play guitar, bass, and drums, and we were trying to trade up, but because of my lack of skills, we just stuck to me playing guitar. But those runs, the way that he made it seem so effortless
1: is he's got and if you I watch know him know how hard it is. If you watch him play, it's like he has spaghetti fingers. I have no yeah. idea how he does what he does.
2: Just gonna I mean it's you respect that talent. When you haven't even tried to pick up a bass yet, you can still respect it, but there's a different level when you've at least spent a half an hour trying to just play a rhythm on either one of those instruments
1: <laughs> yeah he holds down both like he does this amazing you know holding down the bottom and yeah. you don't know, just have all this stuff just like all these guys that we've played like yeah they play around the rhythm that they're holding down whereas most bass players only focus on holding down
2: them. well and with a guitar player you can be a badass virtuoso and then just drop out until it's yeah, time for you to be space, a virtuoso you can kind
1: of come in but with a bass and... player you can't just quit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, you are the rhythm. You were holding down that bottom with the drums. You were you were that yeah, heartbeat with going. the drum. So I had to do it. We had to have representation an ambassador from Japan. Because we've played a lot of Japanese music Uh on this podcast. and I'm sure I'm going to know them. There are some badass bass players in these Japanese bands. And a lot of times... Is is it the dude with the kimono that looks like Uncle Fester? Well, I was going to say, a lot of time, these amazing bass players, for some odd reason from Japan, are women. And it's like you have the smallest of the small people playing the biggest Biggest instrument. instrument. I don't even know how they do it with their hands. If if you just think about the physical, the hand size of... The frets are three inches apart. Of a very tiny person and I've seen these groups play live and every time I don't care what Japanese band I've seen at South by Southwest or wherever I've seen Japanese bands the bass players are always badass like they don't hold down the root notes no they're they're doing exactly what we've just been listening to just crazy ass runs and holding it down and so I'm gonna have a special ambassador and her name is Kiyoshi now a few years ago Jeremy Zamora and I who's been on the program before he and I went to see Marty Friedman he was here sober one time too he once yeah (laughs) so we went to Marty Friedman. You may know that name. He was a guitarist in Megadeth for a lot of the 90s and played on some of their best albums. Has and has the least
2: rock and roll sounding name out of all the... Uh, Mr. Friedman? Yeah.
1: yeah. So anyway, Marty was a huge fan of just Japanese culture. And he, when he left Megadeth, he decided to move to Japan. Mm-hmm. And he still lives in Japan. And a few years ago, he put out a solo album and he came to tour the States and he brought his Japanese band with him. And Kiyoshi was his bass player. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you, she stole the show from Marty Friedman. I mean, That's Marty's... Nice. A a amazing. badass. He is yeah. an amazing guitarist. But whenever she got her chance to step up and, and show what she could do, it was everybody's jaws were just on the floor, mm-hmm. even you know lower than they were when Marty was playing his stuff. So I'm going to play something from her solo album. Now, what she does on her solo albums is it's all bass and drums, and she sings, but she doesn't add any other instrumentation. So she does everything, and mm-hmm. most of it's no overdubs. And you can go watch a video of the song that we're playing, and you can just see her play this and sing it, and it's just amazing. So here is Kiyoshi from Kiyoshi 4. The name of the song is Warning. Go to YouTube and look up Warning by Kiyoshi. I'll put the, obviously how to spell it, I'll put it in the notes, but go check this out. She is a badass.
3: I'll follow. Make up ella rete chosik
2: So I described Billy Sheehan's bass playing as Rolling Thunder during that particular song that we played. And this one was right off the bat, Herd of Buffalo, just thunderous Herd of Buffalo. Just, I don't know how many
1: bass lines were in that it's actually not that many. Just two, it's or three. just She just has a really. I think she's running in two amps, kind of like Chris Squire did, okay. where she's running that just into makes sound into bigger, subs and God, into guitar sounds huge. But just that Lots was another one that Just
2: came at you like right at the very beginning. Just started kicking you and punching you and didn't let up till the end of the song. Oh yeah,
1: that's the most aggressive song we've heard, and and it's by this amazing yeah. tiny Asian <laughs> Japanese lady dynamo. That's just a dynamo, man. She's amazing. Stole the show from Marty Freeman. No mistake. Not many people can do that. True. Yeah, I don't know if he would agree, but uh, to me, (laughs) I mean... uh,
2: Well, let's invite him on the show. We'll talk about it.
1: (laughs) Marty, sorry I made fun of your name. All right, I have one more song for you, and I cannot do a bass episode without mentioning this man who, for a lot of people our age, kind of redefined the instrument for the alternative generation of the 90s and it's I'm talking about... Not Michael Anthony. No, it's not Michael Anthony. Um, I love Michael Anthony. playing, man. It, we talked about him a couple episodes
2: yeah. ago, about the, the backing vocals. How oh, my God. He was a very unsung hero of Van he, Halen. He is Van
1: Halen, yeah, and He is those backing vocals. But no, no. that's not who I'm talking about. Okay. I am talking about Mr. Les Claypool. Oh, God. Yeah. How could we forget him? How could you forget him? And I actually just saw Prime Three weeks ago I went to see them First show I've seen After the pandemic I didn't know that Yeah, my nephew and I went Where were they playing? The Roxy Sold out at the Roxy I had bought Right down the street from me? Yeah, I had bought these tickets It was sold out I had bought these tickets Almost two years ago Oh, they kept getting postponed And it kept getting postponed And the the reason that I wanted to go so badly Is, well, originally The Sword were opening Which they still play They were amazing Mm. But also Wolf Mother Was the second band now, Wolfmother I didn't make them. it. They didn't make it. Yeah, because they had to come from their lands far away. Yeah, so they were not there. But also, Primus were playing Farewell to Kings by Rush from start to end. So they did a, a whole Primus set, mm. and then they played the Rush album, Farewell to Kings, from start to finish. Oh, I didn't, it was interesting. I'm not going to say it was amazing. It was interesting. It, oh, no, 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 no. You're guaranteed interesting if Les is in the room. Yeah, so most people, I think, know who Les Claypool is. They mostly know him for being that quirky leader of Primus, but also for just being being this crazy bass man. Who tried out for Metallica. Yeah, and that's the other thing you might know, that he tried out for Metallica after Cliff Burton. Can you imagine him playing the style of bass that he plays in Metallica? Like, never. Yeah, I remember interviews and Hetfield's just uh, like, Hey, yeah, James, I want you to play a song. It's called Jerry was a race car driver. was like, I'm sorry, man. (laughs) You're just amazing. But yeah, no. (laughs) So I don't want to play Primus, and I could have played his first band before Primus, which was Sausage, but I've decided not to play Sausage. Uh Uh-oh. I'm going to go with something else. And I thought we'd play a little Southern hard rock. Okay. All right. I'm so this is that. a Southern hard rock and yeah, yeah. power trio started by two former members of the Allman Brothers.
2: So there's not a lot of Southern rock power trios. They always have like eight people Usually, on the stage.
1: yeah. And in, in this day, this band does. But when they started, they were only three of them. And two of them came from the Allman Brothers. I'm talking about Mr. Warren Haynes and Mr. Alan Woody, who mm. formed this band called Government Mule. Government Mule. Government Mule. They're still around to this day. I have seen them not too long ago as well. And they're still amazing. But Alan Woody died of a heroin overdose in 2000. And they went from being this power trio to kind of like, what are we going to do now? Mm -hmm. And I think they had just added a keyboard player. So now they're starting to build out that sort of Southern rock sound. But what they did was they decided to put together a kind of two-volume album that featured Woody's favorite bass player friends. And so there's, I mean, just the who's who of bass players. You know, Jack Bruce from Cream is on it. John Enwistle from The Who is on it. Mike Watt, who's this amazing punk rock bass player, Les Claypool, Flea, Chris Squire, Yes, is on it. I mean, it's just an amazing government mule album because it's featuring all these guys that have this very distinctive sound. So, What a good
2: time capsule because those, uh,
1: Chris and others that aren't long for this world. Yeah, well of those guys, more of Jack, Bruce, Jack Bruce has passed away. Yeah. John Entwistle has passed away. Oh, that's right.
2: I forgot he did.
1: And Chris Squire yeah. of the, of so the guys yeah, really, I just They mentioned. really did have that amazing time capsule. Yeah. So here is from 2002. Here is the song that they did with Mr. Les Claypool. So, Government Mule with less Claypool. This is going to be good. And this song is called Greasy Granny's Gopher Gravy, Part One. <laughs>
4: Line. leaves a hot cow, smells a stale wine. We call her Grease and Granny. She's a hopped up, hopped up, no cow witch. She's a slap down, crank down, two ball bitch. She's don't wash, denim, she's wearing a stitch. We love our Grease Granny. Grassy granny, grassy Granny's creepy, it'll make you sing, it shrivel up your peck and make a nostril sting, right out your teeth and make your left ear ring.
2: To be great as a musician when Les Claypool walks in the room, straps on a bass, you know for damn sure you are not the most eclectic musician in that room, <laughs> and it just frees up people that may be kind of you know in a box and creatively have done the same thing well Warren amazing musician he's kind of known for kind of the same sound and leads that he does he's um, a bluesy player exactly man. amazing but all of a sudden standing you know in the same room with him he's like oh well you know I can do this weird thing that would stand out like a sore thumb any other day of the week I'm gonna use this pedal I've never yeah, used what, before we pulled the, <laughs> 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 the dust off of it I go back to this my first trip to Burning Man and before that I always kind of knew I didn't fit in with you know most crowds but you know I was able to mask that for the most part, but you go to someplace like that and it's hard to out crazy, crazy people, but it's like, (laughs) okay, I got to step up now. And you know, there's a few times that I did, not always, but there's some crazy sons of bitches out there, but it gives you that freedom to push your boundaries a little bit more. When you're the craziest one in the room, sometimes you're kind of holding back. You know, I don't want to be too much, but like when somebody like Les walks in, it just gives you that creative freedom, that permission slip that you need. Embrace your crazy. Embrace it, man. Just,
1: just roll with it. But I don't know about you but when I remember hearing Primus when I was a freshman when I was introduced to them and it was you know fairly early on I think second album for them I didn't know about them the first album but I just remember hearing them for the first time and not long after that I believe I heard them on Bill and Ted soundtrack or something mm-hmm. like that in a movie and it was just like just really trippy and it kind of set the pace for a lot of bass players for the 90s to mm-hmm. just explore more I don't know P- Primus was never they were big but they were never huge no they were
2: an acquired taste for the most part and but They definitely influenced a lot of people to think outside of the box. And I thought, I think the first one was Becky's Big Brown Beaver – Was the first one that I heard
1: No, Winona Winona Did I say Becky? Yeah, yeah, well that's in the
2: song But it's Winona Winona's Big Brown Brown. Yeah, Yeah. Becky and Big Brown Anyway, Winona's Large Animal And I thought it was kind of A one-off thing That this regular band Had just done a weird song Like they had inspiration Oh no, that was
1: their single Yeah, yeah I was
2: like (laughs) Then all of a sudden I was like Oh, let me go look up another Because this was in the days Where you couldn't just Look up on the internets The interwebs But yeah, once you get the album You're like, holy crap, no They're just like this all the time And then Jerry's raising and the race car driver, all the race the, car driver, yeah. And then I'm like, oh no, that's the way. This my guy name is. is Mud. And then you start seeing videos <laughs> and the weird shit on stage they're doing, and you're like, oh, yeah. okay. My name's Tommy the Cat. <laughs> I mean, just, Where does it come from? That's <laughs> gloriously bizarre and weird. I love it. I oh, absolutely I love it. You got to have people like that. It, it was just so
1: much. I, I tell you, it was so much up. fun seeing them. Not only that being my first show, but just seeing them play those Primus songs. They played everything we just mentioned. They yeah. played all of them. They and, they They didn't play Becky's Beaver. No, they didn't play Becky's Beaver. (laughs) That was a different song. And then to have them come back and play Rush, it was almost like, I was okay with just the Primus stuff. Yeah. The Rush was just kind of the icing on the cake, but they're not Rush, they're Primus. Right, but now you know weird (laughs) what
2: would Rush sound like if Primus played it. Now you know.
1: Rush from another dimension. Yeah. Anyway, that is bass- virtuosos bass shredders if you will love it and there's a lot more that we could play I know I hit on a lot of guys that everybody already knows but hopefully I gave you some songs that you don't know or you don't remember no we need to come back to this a little bit different there's so. a lot of good bass players out there there are and I will listen to it all day long
2: um, before we go gotta give a shout out don't do this ever but I've got two we have two new listeners two new lists yes. that I have found out about recently all right uh, first one you met 20 something years ago names Frank Harrison so on our way back from Illinois we were driving around Illinois and St. Louis playing some shows up there and on the way back we stopped in Chattanooga and had dinner with my cousin Frank Harrison mm-hmm. so you met him then it's been a long time but I recently heard from him and now he has a daughter that is 21 and is moving to Smyrna ah. for a job and so he's all worried about his daughter moving to wait so he
1: called you to take care of his daughter
2: well like do Frank, it. Frank not, rethink not this. taking care of but okay. like doing some scouting like okay what's it like there oh, okay is okay. it safe and I'm like yeah it's perfectly fine we're like Mayberry here it's, it's great so we're, we're working that out hopefully you know we can get a good job here and start a new life here in the big city of Smyrna just Georgia. like we did just 10 like years did. ago yeah 10 something years ago <laughs> so uh, Frankie and I were roommates in college if you don't remember so yep, yep. he the, like all the really good funny stories of me in college which you know that was about half the rest of it was just horrible crap going <laughs> through in college but the really funny stuff he was involved so really good friend cousin relative all that good stuff and then the second one is Joseph Terabella, who is my nephew he actually listens to you he said I talked to him a few days ago and he mentioned that he's been listening to some of our episodes so if he catches up to this episode and he's listening uh, I'm, makes me really happy because he's a really talented guitar player he's 20s something in his early 20s I've lost track now uh, he's like 6'2 I can't beat him up anymore
1: yeah he's, he's always gonna be 5 to you yeah
2: but. exactly he's a little Joseph that shot the arrow straight up in the air that came down on the hood of my six-month-old <laughs> Dodge charger that had a dent in the the hood for about two years until i fixed it but no he plays guitar better than i ever did and is just a natural at it and i hope he keeps at it then he can pad that talent with some knowledge of history yeah we're giving you all the history history.
1: you need yeah so So, i'm really proud of him for listening to us and put a band together and then go for one of these types of bass players and you'll be set
2: exactly go find well we can put him in touch with billy oh yeah we'll just just sit with
1: billy sitting around eating pot of meat yeah doing
2: nothing so that's cool to hear some family
1: names in here it's It's a family affair now All right. Well, until next time, hopefully this episode 94 actually gets out to the masses. We'll see. I'll try not to have save stuff stolen. And we're going to stand here and watch
2: you upload this to the cloud. Yes. And then you leave. Yes, it'll be in the cloud. Okay.
1: Later, peeps. See
0: Peppers.